Genesis chapter 28. We're going to read 10 through 23 this morning, or 22, 10 through 22. Let's read the word together. Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. When Jacob, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we come to it this morning, we pray that our meditations upon it and words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in your sight. And Father, we pray that, again, as we come this morning, you will continue to work in us that which is pleasing to you. And that, Father, you will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I ask you a question that uh, Ralph Davis asks when he gets to Jacob. He always says, how do you spell heartache? It's J, how do you spell it? J-A-C-O-B, right? It is Jacob. That is how you spell heartache. When you get to Jacob's life, when you get to this point in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are going to... Read one story after another of a guy who just can't hardly seem to get it right. Jacob is a mess. Beginning right here at the beginning of the stories we looked a week or so ago when we saw uh, the beginning and how uh, Jacob and his mother schemed to get the blessing from his father Isaac and then, and then his mom came up with this idea and of showing concern and and everything about Jacob picking a wife from amongst the Hittite people, and so he she got him whisked off. And of course, we know as he leaves the house, he's probably never going to see his mother again. And he moves away, and 
The story picks up here for us. We know Esau is angry at him. His anger is burning so hotly within him that all he wants to do is get his hands on Jacob and wring his neck because he's stolen the birthright and now he's stolen the blessing. And so that is where we find Jacob right here. As we move through his life, you will continue to see he is just a great big mess. He's just a big mess. And as we come to this story, which typically what you've probably grown up with and heard the story being referred to as Jacob's Ladder, we come to this story what we see is God working in Jacob's life. We're going to talk about it under four points this morning as we talk about this stairway from heaven. The stairway from heaven. Any Zeppelin fans out there? Shamelessly stole and twisted that song title this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that the stairway from heaven competes against our desires. The stairway from heaven competes against our desires. Now, listen, uh, this, uh, this ladder or stairway is probably best thought of as an, a ziggurat. So if you go and you Google ziggurat or you've been, if you've traveled and you've, uh, you've been perhaps down to South America, Central America, you've seen something of this, right? It's a, a large, well, think pyramid, only typically it has, uh, it doesn't come to a point. It comes to a flat top. And, uh, and that, those ziggurats were constructed as places of worship. It's an attempt to get up to the gods. They would ascend those and they would, at the top of them, they would offer their sacrifices, usually their children or some animal. And, uh, and by doing so, they would, they would have this communion with God. If you think of the Tower of Babel, uh, which we've already looked at in Genesis, you were probably looking at some form of a ziggurat, an elevated platform on which the people then could right, meet with God. And so Jacob, in his dream, as he um, is here, he stops for the night, the sun had set, he took a stone, he laid it down, and he, and he went to sleep. And in his sleep, he has this dream. And God comes with him and he meets with him very specifically in this dream. And, uh, and what we have as he, as he comes and meets is we have this, we have this ziggurat. We have God showing, as it were, Jacob that he is going to come. And so the first thing that I want you to notice is that this intrusion in Jacob's life is the same as in anyone's. This grace that Jacob just continues to stumble onto, really, is completely, it, it goes against everything that we are. His grace to, uh, towards us is always an unwelcome intrusion into our lives. We can't escape that. The Apostle Paul tells us, um, in, in Romans chapter 3, quoting from the Psalms, he says to us that there is no one who seeks God. There is no one who does good. There is no one who follows after God. Together they are worthless. It, 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 he says that no one seeks God and no one does good. 
And we know from David's confession in Psalm 51 that he was sinful from the time his mother conceived him. He was born into sin. That's why any time grace comes along, that's why any time a heart is awakened to God, it is God's grace. And it is unwelcomed at that very moment. Something has to happen in us in order for us to be receptive to that. And we call that regeneration. Where God comes and He changes our hearts so that we would respond to Him. And so here we have this situation in which Jacob lays down and he goes to sleep. And in his sleep, which is completely passive, listen, Jacob is doing nothing except what? Running from an angry brother who wants to kill him because he schemed the blessing. And so Jacob is on the run, and on the run he stops to sleep for the night, and as he's sleeping, God intrudes into his life in the most gracious way he could have ever imagined. And so what we just get right here is a picture, if you will, the passivity of the person who ever comes to know God. Listen, the the Apostle Paul told us, as I prayed this morning, while we were yet sinners, while all humanity was lost in sin, Christ came and died for us. He puts it another way in Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins. Something has to happen. God has to do something in you before you can do anything for Him. I don't know. know, Experientially, it may have looked different in all of your lives. Some of you might identify with the experiences I had as a young man. In church, hearing an altar call, holding on to the pew so tightly that I have no doubt that there are imprints left in that pew from my hand. Because the Spirit, you know, was, I believe, those times working in my life, opening my eyes, beginning perhaps the process of opening my eyes to my sinfulness. Because I was dead. The Bible says I was dead in my trespasses and sins. So something has to happen for us to know. And we call that something regeneration, where the Spirit comes and changes our hearts. It's passive. We're passive recipients of that. It's grace. It's not not works. We do nothing for it. We only receive it. And so here is Jacob. And the stairway of heaven is a picture, really, of how God's grace comes to us and it's competing against the desires of our heart. It it is meeting up against, when God's grace first comes, it meets up against stone cold deadness. There's nothing there. There is no life. And he takes those shock paddles and he puts them on our heart and he causes it to start beating. And this is a picture right here of Jacob early in his life meeting God. He's passive in the entire ordeal. And yet as we see, what an amazing word he gets from God in this dream. 
And so the first thing I want you to see is the stairway from heaven is, and we'll describe more of what that stairway is, but it always competes against our desires. God's grace, when it comes to us, is competing against us. Because we are so wayward, completely set in a complete another direction. And so it's confusing unless it, he somehow changes us. Because, listen, think about it. There are people, you may know them, I, I know them, who have heard the gospel many times and yet never make a decision for Christ. How can that be? It's not offensive, is it? God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He sent his son to die for you. It's a pretty amazing message, but it doesn't resonate with everyone. Because the message meets deadness in their hearts. Here's the second thing I want you to see about Jacob's uh, dream and the stairway from heaven. It communicates God's involvement in his creation. Listen, there are plenty of people in the world today who believe that there is a God, and yet they believe that God has absolutely no hand in this world, in the lives in which we live. He's completely passive. He simply created us. He set us in motion. Yes, he's there, but he doesn't have any influence. He certainly isn't involved personally with us. He's just existing. And so there are many people who out there that would grant that to us. But the interaction that Jacob has with God tells us that he is very much invested in his creation. <coughs> you see it uh, right here at the beginning. As he has the dream, he sees this ziggurat, this stairway, resting on earth. Listen, it's not Jacob's ladder, it's God's ladder. The stairway is resting on earth and then he has this picture. The top is reaching to heaven, into the sky. And the angels of God were ascending and descending. Now, that picture of the angels up and down is really a picture of their, their coming and going. They're busy. They're, they're active. So this angelic host that God has created, which we know in other parts of Scripture, they're busy. They're carrying out whatever plan God has for them here and there. And so the, the, the picture of the angels ascending and descending is first a picture for us that, wow, gosh, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, those angels are active in this world, in this creation of God's. But, but there's something more than that in the story. Because if you look at the story, it says that then Jacob saw what at the top of the ladder? At the top of the ziggurat, he sees the Lord. He sees Yahweh at the top, standing at the top, as it were, looking into or looking down or showing his, his involvement in the creation. And there above it, verse 13, stood the Lord and he said... So, the angels of God are coming and going, and then Jacob sees at the top, he sees Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, and he speaks into Jacob's life. He doesn't just, he's not just there, aloof from it all, watching his angels come and go. 
Instead, Yahweh speaks. The Lord speaks to Jacob. And what does he say? Well, let's look at it. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then he tells Jacob what he's going to do. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are laying. And he goes on in verse 15. And he says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, what you're not reading is, hey, Jacob, rub me like a magic lamp and I'll give you whatever you want. Notice that's not what Yahweh says. What the Lord says is, Jacob, I am your God, and I am going to do what I said I will do. I, I, I. It really is about him. It's about his purposes. Jacob is the beneficiary of God's involvement in his creation. But he's involved. Hey, you and, you and I need to know that. We need to know that down through the ages, this promise of God's presence is repeated constantly. Joshua heard it. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus gave us the same promise, right? It's important for us to remember that God is involved in His creation. Why? Wow. You're going to lose hope. You will lose hope. If you don't believe that God is involved in his creation, look at the world. The world, you know, Billy Joel said it best. That great theologian, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Right? Yeah. The same hopelessness that could have engulfed Jacob as Jacob was running from a brother wanting to kill him is the same hopelessness that exists in the world today that you and I experience in every sort of conceivable way. The world's blowing up around us. Ah, The world's been blowing up for 4,000 years or 100,000 years, whatever your take is. It's been in bad shape. But God has been with us. Marion read for us John chapter 1. And you probably scratch your head going, what is is John chapter 1, right? The Word made flesh who came and tabernacled among us. He pitched His tent in our midst. Oh, wow, that's kind of strange language, isn't it? Wow, what a beautiful picture of the God of the universe who comes and tabernacles. Remember the tabernacle was that tent that was set up in the midst of the children of Israel. And they walked out every day and they looked at it. And when they looked at it, they were reminded of God's presence with them. And so John picks that language up and he says, Jesus came down and he tabernacled among us. He lived in our midst. That's amazing language. And then he he lived. The Gospels tell us all about Jesus' life. Don't forget that. 
sets him up as the king of the universe who here then died for us. God's involved in his creation. Verse 17 gives us a little bit more. Jacob Jacob communicates more. He tells us that surely God was in this place. And he says this is none other than the gate of heaven. Ah, That's an interesting phrase, the gate of heaven. And theologians have tended to say that what he is doing is he's calling attention. There's a contrast here in the book of Genesis between the gate of heaven and an earlier gate, which was the gate of God, constructed by those who were building the Tower of Babel. And so here Jacob is saying, ah, this is the gate of heaven, as opposed to that other gate that was built earlier, which was a complete debacle, an attempt by man to reach God. Instead, God has reached down to us. I hope you're getting a picture, right? It's God's salvation, not ours. It's His involvement in our lives, not our involvement in His creation. Him, not us. So, here is Jacob. Seeing, knowing, experiencing God's presence with us. When Jesus left us, When he ascended, he said that he would send his spirit, and that his spirit would be our comforter, that his spirit would draw us together, that his spirit would begin to undo and put back together so much of what was broken. And so right away in the beginning of the book of Acts, we have this picture, right, of the Tower of Babel being undone, where once language was confused, The Spirit comes sent by Jesus. He begins to allow the men to speak in languages not their own so that everyone will hear the gospel. And one of the confounding things that day at Pentecost was that the people were hearing these men who were average Galileans, Judeans, speaking in my language? How can this be? And it is because God was visiting them with the work of His Spirit. Exactly the way He is working in us, building us together as living stones so that He can dwell in our midst. He's among us. And you, me, building us together as His dwelling place. So the stairway of heaven communicates God's involvement in His creation. The third thing is the stairway from heaven captures our worship. Jacob responds to God's overture. And he responds to the covenant promise. Listen, that's what is happening. That's the amazing part of the story. The the amazing part of the story, Dick, thanks for your song this morning. Wonderful, beautiful segue, right? Is here is Jacob, a sinner, an amazing, a really good sinner, by the way, doing great sins, and he will do more. Meeting God, and what is God's message to him? You're mine. God's message to Jacob is, Jacob, you little scoundrel, you rotten little scoundrel, you're my chosen vessel. 
to bless the nations. Really? Jacob? Scratch your head. You mean, God, you couldn't do any better than Jacob? He receives the covenant promise from God. The exact same promise given to Abraham. The exact same promise given to Isaac. Now the exact same promise given to Jacob. Are you sensing a theme here? And then we get his response. He moves to erect a memorial to the place and he calls it the house of God. And he wanted, Jacob wanted there to be a memorial, a reminder of what had happened. Why? Because it mattered. You, you can always tell in, in the Bible that something matters because they, are, they will somehow try to memorialize the event, the happening. This mattered. God had reiterated his gracious covenant promises to Jacob and he heard them. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm the curious one. So when I'm traveling and I see those little green historical markers, you know what I'm talking about? They're all over. I always want to stop. They didn't put those things up because nothing happened there. They put them up because something happened there. And I always want to know. But how often you 100 miles an hour historical mark right past it? Well, something significant took place there in somebody's life. And so Jacob sets up the stone on which he was sleeping in order to memorialize the moment when God met him in a dream and gave him the covenant promise. And so he sets it up. And it really is, it's it's Jacob's act of worship, if you will. He's responding to God. God, you came, you met me. I am going to do this. I'm going to set this up. And so it's not just a mere historical marker. It has a worship component that is built into it. You see, if you believed, if you believed that the God of the universe had been present in your room when you woke up, it, it would capture your attention. John MacArthur used to preacher, John MacArthur, he wrote a book years ago called Charismatic Chaos. And he tells a story that he knew a guy that would recounted to him that Jesus came and met with him every morning when he shaved. And the guy said, you know, I'm shaving and Jesus comes in and he puts his arm around me. He's telling this to John MacArthur. John MacArthur's kind of taking it all in. And he says, I just have one question for you. Do you keep shaving? Because when I read in the Bible that God appears to someone, they're undone. And in a sense, Jacob is his undone. He realizes, God, you're there. You love me? And he moves to worship him, and he does it in a way you and I aren't really familiar with. But he does it because when God meets with you, when God shows himself to you, it demands our worship. It just demands it. You're going to, if God meets with you and shows himself to you, you have no other choice but to worship. Typically they fall face down. And they say, woe is me and I am undone. And then God lifts them up and says, oh, you're mine and I love you. 
second because we're all worshiping beings when we aren't sure but we think that something miraculous has happened, we move to worship. There's a story just this past May, the UK Daily Mail, about a Virgin Mary statue in Nicaragua, sorry, Colombia. It's in the center of town. Townspeople went out one morning, and the statue had a red tear. That had one single red tear. <sighs> it's now a place of worship, right? Something, something happened. God was there. He did a miracle. And so now people are flocking to the statue in order to what? They're not just going to take pictures. They're going because they want something of the divine. They want to worship. That's what happens. And so Jacob moves to worship God. Now think about that. He sets up a stone. He anoints it with oil. What is he doing? He's saying, God, this place that you met me in is holy. This place that you met me in, Lord, I, I'm crying out. We're going to see here in a minute what he offers to God. What are you offering? Where? What is taking place in your worship? Is it a place where you come, you plug in, you get something? Or is it a place where you come and you offer something? A sacrifice of praise to God. Why? Because he's met with you in the person of Jesus? Pretty good reason. Here's the final point. A stairway from heaven creates new loyalties. When you first read Jacob's response, it sounds a little bit like deal-making, but it really isn't deal-making. It's Jacob responding to God's promise. So down in verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me in this journey I'm taking, will give me food and eat the clothes to wear and eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up to pillar will be uh, God's house. And all that you give to me, I will give you a tenth of it. Now, there's no requirement on Jacob to give anything to God, really. But what is he doing? He's saying to God, listen. If you do what you say you're going to do, I'm going to respond with everything I have. I will respond with my life. I will give, of all that you're blessing me with, I'm going to give a tenth. I will give a tenth back. It's, it's, he has new loyalties. He is encountering grace, and that grace is changing his heart. Think about it. Think about the promise. Perhaps Jacob's sole focus on the blessing that he was getting was the earthly physical part of the blessing, not so much the God thing. Remember we talked about that it had a little bit of that will, that last will and testament feel to it. And so here is Jacob and then he's getting, a, he's getting the last will and testament. And, and perhaps it was more physical than spiritual for him. And because it was more physical than spiritual for him, he was just thinking to himself, I'm getting all my dad's stuff. What a great blessing. He's left me a ton of money. And, and I'm going to have all this stuff. 
And so perhaps now as Jacob is left, but he didn't leave with all that, and so he's left, but God comes to him now and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to bless you. Now Jacob goes, oh, man. I mean, that stuff isn't as big a deal. I'll give that stuff back to you. See, he has a change in his loyalties. His heart has been opened up. Why? Because God came in and he met that old heart with his grace. And grace transforms us and gives us new loyalties. Are you seeing that in your life? Is he opening you up? Are you, do, do you know God's grace in a way that it's, it opens your... I'm not talking about like... This is not the hard pitch from the pastor on it. All right, we're going to pass the plate again. All right. This is a, do you sense your life? Everything you have belongs to him that you're willing to use it. Time, treasure, talent for the glory of God. Because that's what, that's what we're talking about. New loyalties and the gospel does that. What a beautiful picture right here in the book of Genesis, right? I want you to think about it. I mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism earlier, and I want you to think about that in Jacob's life right here. Guilt. What a rascal, right? He schemed his brother, schemed his father. Now he's running from his murderous brother. He's going to get in all kinds of other trouble. So we can establish quite clearly, quite early, right here, Jacob is guilty. He's on the run. The first encounter that he has is he lays down to sleep running from his brother is what? It isn't God going, now Jacob, you better get your act together. You're doing wrong, buddy. No, God comes to him and says, what? I was, I promised your father Abraham, I've promised your father Isaac, and I'm going to promise you that you are the son of blessing. He meets grace. And how does he respond? With a heart of gratitude and worship and giving of what the Lord has given to him. Guilt, grace, Gratitude right here in the life of Jacob. Welcome to the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the picture of Jacob. Lord, we want to thank you that you have not left us nor forsaken us, but instead you've come down from heaven, you've met us, you've changed our hearts, you've called us to yourself. Father, give us new loyalties, give us new passion for worship. Father, let us see and know your grace is real and true each and every day. It will be changed for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.